Hey there, Hit Parade listeners. What you're about to hear is a preview of our latest episode. As we announced in mid-April, Slate, like many media organizations at the moment, is getting hit pretty hard by what's going on with the economy in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. We need your help to continue producing this show and all the other work we do at Slate. So we're asking you to sign up for Slate Plus, our membership program. It's just $35 for the first year, and it will go a long way towards supporting us at this crucial moment. Sign up at slate.com slash hitparadeplus, and you'll get to hear this and every episode of Hit Parade in full. That's slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Thanks. And now, your episode preview. Welcome to Hit Parade, a podcast of pop chart history from Slate Magazine about the hits from coast to coast. I'm Chris Melanfi, chart analyst, pop critic, and writer of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series. On today's show, 40 years ago, in April 1980, a well-established pop star was making his comeback into the top 10 on the Billboard charts. In popular parlance, this guy was nicknamed the Piano Man. Only, piano wasn't the most prominent instrument on his latest hit. It was basically a guitar rock song. Sure, way back in the mix on You May Be Right, you could hear its singer and songwriter, Billy Joel, pounding away on the piano as usual. But not much about this song was usual for Joel. It was snotty, snide, snarky. Not the first time he'd tried on that attitude, but the first time he'd made it the first single from a new album. In fact, every single that Billy Joel, Hit Machine, released in 1980, downplayed the piano entirely. But while this was the most rock forward that Joel had been in his career to date, it was hardly the first time he'd tried on a new style and scored a hit with it. The truth is, Billy Joel never really was the piano man. Not entirely, anyway. Some of his most famous piano standards weren't actually Billboard chart hits in their day. And even on the massive Grammy-winning smashes, keyboards were just one tool in Joel's bag of tricks. The song, not the tinkling of the ivories, was what made Joel a hit maker. 
Forget Piano Man, Joel was the pastiche man. By the 80s, when he was at the peak of his hit-generating powers, he was trying on genres, styles, and even voices like they were clothing. Sometimes he didn't need any instruments besides the human voice. And to a generation born after the 80s, he is now mostly known as the guy with that apocalyptic history lesson song with too many words in it. Yes, we will talk about that strange, unkillable Hot 100 number one hit. And all of Joel's Billboard chart toppers. Was there ever a Billy Joel sound at all? And did it matter? Because, good God, all those hits. How did this guy do it? Today on Hit Parade, we are going to pinpoint the moment that Joel's career attained exit velocity from his so-called Piano Man persona. The year he won the top Grammy, he released an album full of rock songs where the piano was an afterthought, and he was rewarded for it, topping the charts more consistently than ever before. He even poked fun at his own stylistic insecurities right in the lyrics of a hit. And that's where your hit parade marches today, the week ending July 19th, 1980, when It's Still Rock and Roll to Me became Billy Joel's first number one song on the Hot 100. The same week, his album Glass Houses was completing a six-week run on top of the Billboard album chart. Joel had established himself as one of the new decade's top pop stars and a man who would try anything. The next phase, new wave, dance craze, any ways to get on the radio. Thanks for listening to this episode preview. To listen to the full Hit Parade episode, please go to slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. 
my colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.